Hey friends, this is Methodist Musing, where we discuss important issues and topics which Christians should be thinking about. And today we're going to be talking about the worst year ever. Man, hint, it's actually not 2020. Yeah. We're also going to be talking about like how we think about the Bible, how we read the Bible, some general tips for doing that. Yeah, some pretty cool stuff here. My name's uh, John Duff. I'm the assistant pastor here at Centenary UMC in Danville, Kentucky. And I'm Chris Morgan. I'm the senior pastor here at Centenary UMC in Danville, Kentucky, and we welcome you to our show today. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty exciting show, a lot of good topics, but we like to start off by saying, hey, how are you? Um, how are you doing? If you want to type in, in Facebook, how are you doing? How's your week been? How was your weekend? Uh, that can be good. We at the church had a really great weekend because Priscilla Johnson preached and she mm-hmm. killed it. And her son, that's a good term. Sorry, that's <laughs> slang for being she did a very good job. I probably shouldn't use that term. Uh, but And then Paul, her son, played music for us and we appreciated his music as well. But how are you doing and how's it going? Um, how are you doing? We'll start with Kathy. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm doing good. Yes, Sunday was really good. I really enjoyed Paul's music. Yeah. The one song just got to me. The one that Priscilla sang? No, not the one she sang. The, the other one, he the, sometimes he whispers. Okay. Yeah, that was, okay. that was a really, really good. good song. I had not yeah. heard that before. So, I don't I don't listen to Christian country music as much and that was kind of more the genre and so it was cool. I mean it sounded like that to me. Was that I don't know. I could be wrong. It was very good. I enjoy Priscilla, Priscilla's song a lot. I gotta go get my tea. Sorry. See, I still think she sounds like Loretta Lynn. She does sound like Loretta Lynn. And and John has misplaced his tea, so, which um, would be as bad as me misplacing my coffee. So what about you, Chris? Can you tell me about your weekend and why you were sad over the weekend at <laughs> I was, one point? I was sad over the weekend because I have looked forward since the day that I arrived at Centenary oh, to introducing the children and youth of Centenary, the, the junior and senior high students at Centenary, to one of the best yeah. movies that has ever been made, okay. and that is The Princess Bride. And so I was so excited because last night was going to be the night that we were going to introduce them to The Princess Bride. Sunday night. Sunday night wasn't last night? No. Okay, well, <laughs> Sunday night, quicker, yeah, we were going to <laughs> introduce them to The Princess Bride. And so... And we did, in fact. We did introduce them to The Princess Bride, and, like, they didn't like it. Well, they didn't pay attention to it. Okay, I th- also think there were other factors. Okay, it was showing, we showed it in the multi-purpose room. And if it was like in a dark movie theater with a, you know, huge screen, they probably would have focused on it more. But I honestly think they don't get the humor. I think that is a generational humor. I don't know. I just... Well, I, okay, I can understand that. But I also think there were other factors in okay. play is what I want to say. I just, and like the... Okay, our youth love volleyball. Just the fact that there was a volleyball in the room, they're going to have trouble focusing on anything besides the volleyball, right? Like, So Chris was... I was just totally bummed. It's like, can I be friends with these people? Can 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 we can we interact now in, in the future? Inconceivable also, that they didn't like the Princess Bride. To be fair, like all the adults were watching, and then like 
There were like three youth that watched the whole way through, I think. But yeah, some of them did. We can we can still be friends. The ones and did. there were some that watched for parts and then went and played. But yeah, but uh, yeah. So that was a sad part of your weekend. Yeah. Um, How about you, John? I feel like I had a good weekend. Let me see. Oh, Saturday was really busy for me. One of my best friends got engaged, so that was really cool. And then what did I do? Oh, yeah, we hung out for just a little bit before they got engaged, and that was cool. And then one of my other friends had a birthday party, so. But Sounds engaging. Nothing too crazy, but but it was a fun weekend, and I'm happy for this week. And you know what? I'm also I'm kind of happy for. I like the weather a little bit, you know? Today's kind of, yeah. It's fall weather. Like, I'm okay with, like, fall rain. And are you guys excited about football being back? I was going to say, Jennifer Clark says school starts tomorrow for Bull County, so. Oh, yeah. It's time to. I'm excited about football. So, I'm not, like, a huge football fan, but just, no. like, the culture of, like, fall and football so is exciting So, is this the big game, inter-county game? Uh, I don't think is so. that already happened? Mm, that has not happened that yet. That will. Okay. That's the last game of the season, isn't it? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. There have been several different changes based upon orange, red, green counties. Uh, so yeah. everything, like you might have a game scheduled that gets canceled. and yeah. So we've had a couple moved around as a result of that with, and with soccer. Both teams are undefeated, right? Danville High School's 1-2. I don't know about Boyle County, actually, because I just pay attention to it. Well, I just, your kids are at Danville. So. My, my kids tell you who won. <laughs> yeah, so Danville won it. And so this is going to be probably, hopefully, a good year for the football teams, right? Yes. And maybe a good so. year for UK football, too. We'll see. Yeah, they lost Clark to Auburn. She's but. excited about college football. Yes. She's a University of Tennessee fan. That I know about her. Yeah. Yeah, big UT. Well, I'm excited, too, except we're just playing in the SEC this year, so that might make it harder to get a winning record for UK than when we normally play, you know, teams that oh. aren't as good. Carol Carter but, says Bull County's undefeated. Oh, there you go. All right, it's going to be a good game. Football. Yep. Anyways, I'm pumped for the football culture. It's going to be a good year for the two high school football teams, but generally 2020 hasn't been that great of a year for us. And many people are complaining and like, this is the worst year ever. And it's, and it's really been a bad year. It hasn't been a great year. We're not saying that. But... I want to ask if we if we think about that question, what's the worst year ever? In your all's minds, without the we actually have a news article that we're going to talk about, but without that, what are other years that come to mind of really bad years in history? In history, okay. Not like in your life. <laughs> well, I know there are bad ones in my life that I'm like, oh, I don't want to repeat that. But that's not what we're talking about. I mean, in history. I mean, 586 BC. Um, 586 BC. Yes. I'm gonna have to Google that. I don't <laughs> even know what that was. <laughs> 586 well, okay, okay. BC. The the came in. They sacked Jerusalem. Oh yeah. They took they took the inhabitants of Jerusalem and scattered them throughout the empire. And that's when and Daniel comes to Babylon, right? Like the prophet Daniel in the Bible. Yeah, so I mean, I would think of simple things like World War II was probably pretty bad. So whatever years you want to put in there in the in the 40s. Um, and then, you know, we've been hearing a lot about 1918 with the Spanish flu. 
and like 50 million to 100 million people worldwide died because of this. Mm -hmm. And then I think of the bubonic plague and all these plagues in the past history. And then also just any time that like the Vikings were coming to fight you, <laughs> that would have been really horrible. <laughs> Because, like, you'd have no shot against the Vikings. FYI, John likes the Vikings, yes. not the football team. I'm a big fan of Viking history, despite being a pastor and being relatively anti-violent and gentle and try to promote those. I like the Vikings. They're cool. One of but, the great things about, like, living in our age is that we see things coming. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be on the coast of Florida on Tuesday afternoon without wondering if you're going to get struck by a sniper hurricane on Wednesday. Yeah. You know when they're coming. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know pretty much if there's an army that is marching across, uh, not so much with, with kind of air attacks, but um, you, know, you would know the Vikings were coming. But can you imagine not knowing the Vikings were coming? That would be scary. And the Vikings suddenly showing up at your door. And then you'd be like, boom. That's mm -hmm. not good. Sweet. Well... Yeah. There is actually a scientist that said there actually was a worse year ever that apparently this person thinks it's like provable fact. And what was, we're going to have Chris talk about that year a little bit. It wasn't recent history. Michael McCormick, um, who's a medieval, medieval historian, says that the worst year ever is the year 536. 536. 536, he says, if it wasn't the worst year, it was the beginning of one of the worst periods ever to okay. be alive. And um, Procopius, the Byzantine historian, had this to say. The sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon during the whole year. So okay. the sun... Like, actually, there, there was this fog for 18 months. Okay. And for a long time, we didn't quite understand, like, why this fog yeah. uh, fell over. So, yeah. and this was, like, over all of Europe, there was, like, no sun for 18 months, basically, right? Well, there was sun, but, but yes. the yeah. sun was like the moon, yeah. according to Because Procopius. of this fog or ash. And apparently, later on, they... Um, the scientists found out that there was this huge volcanic eruption in Iceland uh, in five early 536, which spewed its ash over all of the northern hemisphere. Um, and then there were other eruptions after that, but that was the big one that caused this fog. And so, and of course, you got fog, which like agriculture is affected, yep. temperature is affected. Yeah. Um, and you know the the average temperature fell by. Like four and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so it was cold. It was cold. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the breathing problems that yeah. that you would have when things were so nasty that you couldn't even see? Yeah. They said that summer, snow fell th in China through through the summer. Crops failed. People starved. The Irish chronicles record a failure of bread from the years five thirty six to five thirty nine. So that's three years where like. No bread. They didn't have enough bread or no bread. Yeah. And then a few years later, um, I mean, this is this is all happening kind of chronologically. Yeah. Uh, the bubonic plague struck the Roman port, and then the plague of Justinian spread after that, which killed somewhere between a third of the population and half of the population 
of the Roman Empire, yeah. which wound up hastening its collapse. Um, how long did this last? Well, it lasted right at about a hundred years, uh, and they so just, kind of this depression or whatever from the because of the fog and yeah. everything going on. The the econo the fog lasted eighteen months, but yeah. the the economic hardships, uh, the the having to reorient society, it, it took about a hundred years for them to to find evidence in the ice core yeah. that that money was being made again. So essentially, there was no minting of coins for about a hundred years, oh, wow. uh, which shows a lack of merchant activity. Yeah. And so the merchants started. Uh, so. Chris, I thought we were supposed to have like happy or goofy news stories on this show. So why, why would why, this one's depressing a little bit? Yeah, why? <laughs> it is a little depressing for sure, and uh, uh, sometimes comparison helps go. put things yeah. in, in perspective. <laughs> and uh, 2020 has been a difficult year for a lot of people, and I certainly, you know, when you when you talk about difficult years, you know about difficult years in history. Or you can talk mm -hmm. about difficult years in in our lifetimes. Yeah, and I'm not sure that in my lifetime there's been one that compared to 2020. And so yeah. we, we we're not going to minimize that by by any stretch. But I am glad. I, I used to have a dear professor who would talk about how wonderful it would have been to have lived like in the ancient world. Yeah, and he's he was absolutely convinced that if he had lived in the ancient world. He would have had a scribe, and his life, or he would have been a scribe, oh, yeah. and his life would have been just absolutely wonderful. And yeah. uh, the rest of us in the class are like, "Yeah, but you would have had three teeth." Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there would have been a whole lot of things that would have been different if you had lived in ancient times than than uh, living now. So yeah, for sure. I'm trying to find lifespan it. wasn't as long either. Yeah, if you if you could live past five, you know if you. If you do average lifespan, counting the people who died from birth to five, that brings it really low. Mm -hmm. But if you could live past five, you could expect to live sometimes 50 to 60 years, depending on. There you go. There's my happy sound. Oh, that's not that's it. That's not it. There's the bottle cap sound. The bottle cap from L8, which I don't have in my hand. To make us happy again yes so yeah so and it's really great to look at the it, we so often get focused on our own time period and our own time it's great to look through history at all the things that have happened because you know we might make the mistake of saying oh this is the worst year ever this is what like J they were talking about in the bible when the end times were coming but uh that's kind of a silly mistake sometimes that people make because you know there's been a lot of horrible things in history and Jesus still hasn't come back in the midst of those. Um, and, and so let's not make that mistake again of saying, oh, this is the worst ever. You know, this is the end times. Uh, which I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about the we end times. We should always be ready. Yes. But, yeah. but we also have to remember that if we had lived in 536 yeah. and the fog had been there every stinking day for 14 months... Yeah, you know, it would probably have seemed like the end was coming. Yeah, and we would have been depressed and sad, and mm -hmm. it'd be rough, and we'd be saying, "Jesus, come back now," which this kind of transitions us into our next topic. Which today we really want to talk about 
the Bible. And the way we think about the Bible, the way we view the Bible, and the way uh, that helps our, informs our reading of the Bible and the way that then affects our relationship with God. Um, so I wanted to start off um, with that because, you know, that's a really important question, especially in modern times. Some people take the Bible and say, oh, it's just an old book. It doesn't mean anything or, oh, uh, it's out of date and we can, you know, change things to our own modern view um, of the world and, and we know better now, which is not the case that we hold. And then you also have kind of the reaction that on the other side uh, that seems to take, you know, uh, the Bible uh, as um, taking the Bible literally at every step and uh, kind of misunderstanding uh, the different genres in the Bible as well. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, the Bible is ancient literature. So this this book that we have um, that it's we a big book yeah take to be our holy scripture um, is ancient literature, and really it's uh, a combination of different genres of ancient literature. But I also wanted to ask, um, how was the Bible put together? Chris, do you mind giving us a short synopsis of that? That might take a long time, but just a short, if you could. A short great. synopsis of how the Bible was put together. After, okay, after the Old Testament. So okay, the, well, the Hebrews, put, well, whatever. You, you just go. <laughs> the Bible is essentially, like, we, we think about it as having a lot of genres, but in fact it has a lot of books. Mm, so yeah. the Bible is as much um, a library as it is a book. Yeah, that's so good. So you've got uh, the books of the law, you've got the books of the prophets, you've got the books of, of wisdom. In the New Testament, uh, you've got the, the books that we call Gospels. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the book of Acts, which is something of, of a history, history of the early yeah. church. And then you've got all these letters, uh, all these epistles, and then, scattered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you've got apocalyptic literature. And yeah. the apocalyptic literature has got all the dragons and the monsters and yeah. uh, the seas and the wars and the battle, the blood, yeah. uh, all of this. So, so we have a huge variety of things that are found um, with, within the Bible. Yeah. Um, at various points, uh, we have determined like what books are canonical and what books are not canonical. Um, I would argue that the, the uh, Protestant world actually owes its 66 books um, to, to a Catholic definition. So there is a Catholic definition of, of canon that yeah. we can't get away from. You know, Christianity, yeah. whether it's Catholic Christianity or Protestant Christianity, we're all intermingled um, yeah. and we're all dependent one degree or, or another on each other. Yeah. Um, different different uh, groups would hold different books to be canonical, which is why if you look like at the Methodist um, Book of Discipline, like we list yeah. out these are the books that we hold to be canonical, and those happen to be the same books that yeah. Lutherans and Presbyterians and um, Episcopalians hold to be canonical. Yeah. The, the uh, Roman Catholics would, would have... Uh, and a group of a, what we would call apocryphal books that okay. also yeah. would be uh, and similar, almost exactly the same as the Eastern Orthodox, but not, not quite. Um, and so the 66 books we have 
are generally held to be canonical by all Christian yeah. groups. Yeah, and so, and I think basically after Jesus, they had the the Old Testament scriptures, which was the Hebrew scriptures, and then um, maybe like three hundred years after Jesus, and up to three to four hundred years after Jesus, they had a bunch of church councils, kind of saying which letters and which biographies were actually canonical, right? And then because of the councils, along with the Holy Spirit, kind of guiding the councils, chose certain books, right? Right. There's some fluidity there. I mean, as late as Martin Luther, Martin Luther, if he'd had his way, Martin Luther would have gotten rid of the book of James. He despised the book of James. He said, and I'm tempted to go back into British here, but he said, it's an epistle of straw. But he's German. Uh, but he's German, and I don't do a good German accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't like James. He did yeah. not like James. Uh, but but there's some fluidity as as far even with the books of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, ultimately, you have to ask the question like, what are the books that people of faith use, and what are the books that people of faith generally have not found to yeah. to be useful in worship. And, and even the canon of the Hebrew Bible um, was was probably not complete as early as most people think. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to say a couple things um, about Scripture that are important kind of in our modern age. Um, and, and the one is like understanding Scripture as ancient literature. Um, like the biographies that we call the Gospels are actually a genre of literature that is ancient biography, which you might not really understand if you haven't read other ancient biographies but they fit that genre if you've read other ancient biographies and and like the wisdom literature in the old testament is general wisdom literature uh, genre and so why this is important is because uh, i think as we read the bible we have to understand where the authors who who wrote this down are coming from and, and what they're trying to say and what questions they're trying to answer. So, uh, for example, uh, the like, um, uh, y- yeah. So when I think of what questions we're trying to answer, when I think of our creation story, um, the authors who are writing that are thinking, okay, what does our creation story tell us about our God, uh, and what does it tell us about uh, the world we know around us? And they're trying to answer that story. Uh, when we read our creation story through a modern lens of scientific and historical fact, the way that we view science and history, we're, we're kind of asking the wrong question. Now, we're, I'm not saying that you can read a literal reading of Genesis and understand it that way, but it, it, it really is a different genre. Like, the Bible is not meant to be a science textbook, right? One of the... One of my favorite teachers w- would say that science answers the question of how and yeah. scripture answers the question of why. So it's possible to bring different questions to to different yeah. texts. So, so for example, in our creation story, we have just one God who creates. That's unique to the Hebrew scriptures. We have a God who creates humans in his image and has them... Um, be ruler and give them responsibility over the earth and they're not slaves of God which is important because in most creation stories ancient Near East Christian stories uh, humans are created basically to be workhorses of uh, the gods and that is not the way the Hebrews uh, viewed God and 
human relation to God. And so, so that's, that's really important. So understanding genre um, is one thing that's really important. And so that we don't just take everything super literally. We, um, the modern age wants us to take the Bible literary, liter, literally at every turn. Or, but, yeah. or not literally or, at every turn. There's, there's, yeah. there, there's two different kinds of ways that we're being asked now. Uh, yeah. We're being asked to, to toss aside the message of the Bible or to take it hyper-literally. But there's, there's somewhere in between when we think about genre. For, for example, when Jesus says, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And when I go to biology class and, and I find a seed smaller mm-hmm. than mustard seed, does that mean that I have to like toss out the teaching of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Or is Jesus just making a point, look at how tiny the mustard seed is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And if you just had that much faith. Yeah. So, so a, a person who is absolutely wedded to hyperliteralism would have to say, well, really, any other seed smaller than a mustard seed is rightfully classified as something besides a, besides a seed. Yeah. Um, I think that fails to get the message of, yeah. of what the parable. Yeah, and this kind of takes us into another thing I wanted to talk about was understanding the context of the way things are written in, and especially I think of like, the letters of Paul, the epistles. Uh, one of the things that I hear sometimes is is that the Bible is written for you; it's not written to you. And so, like, you, we have to understand that Paul and other New Testament authors wrote these with a specific audience in mind. And so, like, uh, there's one point in which Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's like, "Go get me uh, my cloak and, and bring it to me at Ephesus or wherever he is." Um, and, and we don't read that literally. Like, we don't think Paul is telling that to us specifically. But there's so many other things that we disregard the context and the understanding of um, the, the history and the culture and the economic situation that Paul is writing into uh, that w- we don't think about that. Now, I'm not saying we just, it's not, it is written for us. And so these are for our edification and for our spiritual growth. But we also have to understand the context behind it. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And I've got my Bible here open to what yeah. so many people talk about this is Second Timothy um, three sixteen and seventeen. Um, all Scripture is inspired by God. That word yeah. "inspired" there, like means breathed into. At the at the very beginning, God breathes into. Um, the, the human beings that yeah. he has made and breathes the breath of life. So God, all scripture is given life mm-hmm. by God. It, it is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And yeah. so the idea of scripture being inspired there, there are three literary things that are going on here. Number one, there's the statement, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, I love C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I love G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton, the prince of paradox. Mm-hmm. I just adore G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. But when I read C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton, it is not the same experience as reading the Gospel of John yeah, or First Corinthians. Yeah. There is something 
that is life-giving and that has a kind of life within it uh, about the scripture that even my favorite books don't have. So there's yeah. this kind of declarative statement. All scripture is inspired by God. And then we're told why. For reproof. Or we're, told, we're told what it's useful for. It's useful yeah. for teaching. So we can use all scripture for teaching. For reproof. Occasionally we need reproving. If, if uh, the Bible Absolutely. tells us to yep. love our neighbor as ourselves. And I'm with you, and uh, <laughs> and if you, if you punch me, then you're not loving me as yourself. Yeah. And if we're going out to eat, and you're just an absolute jerk to the waiter, yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to reprove you yeah. by Scripture. Yeah, uh, for sure. For correction, mm-hmm. uh, for training in righteousness. Yeah. So, so we are we're told all Scripture is this is given life, given this life giving quality by God. We're told what it's useful for. And then we're also told why. Yeah. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So uh, the Bible's purpose, the purpose of this God-breathed literature Mm -hmm. is to make us proficient as Christians and to show us what good work is about yeah so it's it's matters of faith understanding god understanding the world around us um yeah and and how do we live into a right relationship with god uh, so with that i want to uh, i want to say a couple more things um all, we heard all of scripture is god breathed and inspired uh, which i think is important uh, i think it's important that we read all of the bible and not just little parts of it uh, there, there's so many reasons why we do this because if we read just parts of it and get theology and our understanding of God in the world from just one part, uh, we might get skewed uh, because all of the Bible has the full picture of who God is, which then is represented fully in uh, the man Jesus Christ. Uh, but even reading just the Gospels, uh, one of the things I like to say is I really like preaching from the Gospels. They're fun to preach from. They have great stories. But one of the problems is if you just preach from the gospel, you actually never get an event in which Jesus doesn't heal. Like, there's no time where someone comes up to Jesus and says, please heal me, and he says no. There, there's never a time in the gospels. But that also is not our, re- our experienced reality. In life, there are times when God doesn't heal. Uh, and that's just the truth. And so if we just read the Gospels, we might come away confused. Uh, And so we have to turn to other spots in Scripture, such as uh, the epistles in the New Testament or the Old Testament wisdom literature, uh, to understand, okay, how do Christians respond when Jesus doesn't heal or when he doesn't, uh, you know, move uh, all of history to, 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 to heal or to bring about goodness. And so that's really important. And then also there are times in... Uh, where we might need, in one part of the Bible, it presents a truth in a certain way, but we we need another truth to kind of temper that. So you want to speak to that in the wisdom yeah, literature? Yeah, I, I love the wisdom literature. Like like the book of Proverbs is really optimistic. Yeah. And so Proverbs says, okay, there's a way we can discover that we can live. And if you live that way, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be prosperous, um, 
you things are going to go your way. Yeah. So that's the book of Proverbs. Um, and if Proverbs was the only book we had, then we'd think, okay, here's the program, follow the program, yeah. and you're going to have a hefty bank account, you're going to live in a nice house, and you're going to just be happy all around. Yeah. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, is also next to the book of Proverbs. <laughs> yeah. And Ecclesiastes is like, well, what if you are wealthy? Is that really satisfying? Because uh, you've got to leave your wealth to someone yeah. who might be an idiot. Yep. And is that satisfying, knowing that you're going to leave your wealth to a moron? And uh, it's all just chasing after wind. Yeah. Is. And so, so Proverbs is optimistic. Ecclesiastes shrugs its shoulders and says, well, it's better to be wise than to be a fool. But even wisdom has its, has its limitations. Yeah. And then the book of Job directly challenges the book of Proverbs. So you yeah. got Proverbs says, you live well, you prosper. Job presents us with this picture of someone who lives well and because he lives well, he does not yeah. prosper. Yeah. So, uh, which then, if you just took Job by itself, you would also be missing the big picture of the truth of, of what God is trying to teach us. Right. So, so the yeah. whole canon from Genesis to Revelation. Um, when you're when you're thinking, when you're when you're praying, when you are um, thinking theologically, uh, yeah. we, we have a you know. Don't don't limit yourself to one genre of literature, one type of literature. Look at look at the whole canon, um, yeah, from Genesis yeah. to Revelation. That's, that's absolutely. Protestant. And I want to I want to kind of wrap us up with this idea of just understanding the great gift that the Bible is to us as a means for interacting with, communing with God. The Bible itself is not our God. God is the uh, ins inspiration of the Bible, and He has given the Bible to us as a means of knowing him, interacting him, knowing the truth of who he is, and knowing the way in which we are supposed to live. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That we would have this life of communing with God, interacting with God. Reading the Bible is a means of grace uh, in the terms of uh, Wesley. Um, and it's also this thing that's objective and not subjective, right? Which I love about it because... Oh, prayer or uh, there could be lots of ways that we commune with God uh, but maybe I pray and I hear something and I'm like I'm not sure if that was God or not well that's what the great thing about the Bible is it's objective and it's there and it's been there for 2000 for well I don't want to put say 2000 years but it's been the there. New Testament has been there yes for yes close to 2000 close years. to 2000 years. it's been there it's objective and, and it can lead us to God and into deeper communion with him a, a deeper relationship with him which then again affects our life and leads us to truth leads us to uh, the life that God has given us and, and um, wants us to live and so it's this beautiful way of interacting with and becoming more like uh, the God who gave us the Bible who wants to be known and who is known through the scriptures. And so uh, that's kind of wrapping up our portion about the Bible. Does that sound good, Chris? Sounds good. The Bible gives us words sometimes when we don't have the words. Uh, the book of Psalms is a great book to pray from. Um, yep. It's got all of the range of human emotions in it, mm -hmm. uh, from thanksgiving to lament. Uh, to prayers that are answered, to prayers that are not answered. Yeah, so absolutely. You know, the Book of Psalms actually can be used as a devotional guide. Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, we want to remind you about a few things happening at the church so you can uh, hop in, get involved. Our Firstly, our Wednesday nights, we're wrapping up our September Wednesday night this September, or this this September. This Wednesday, uh, we're doing our Jonah study for the adults. The kids and the youth are outside doing some great stuff, uh, weather permitting. So come out uh, tomorrow night for that. It's going to be fun to wrap up Jonah 4. It's a good one. Jonah 4 is an interesting ending. Yeah. Also, the 9th of October. The 9th of October is our church camp out on the property behind the church building. Um, Maybe the only time your pastor ever encourages you to go to sleep at church. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a bonfire, have s'mores, watch a movie, do all cool camping stuff. It's going to be great. And then October 25th, we have a blood drive, so sign up online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can. Uh, that's been in the newsletter. Hopefully you know about that, but sign up. It's a great way to give back during the pandemic. They really need blood right now, um, so it's a great way to give. And then lastly... Come to worship on Sunday morning, right? We have right. 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We've had a lot of different preachers recently. Who's preaching this week? That would be me this oh, week. I, no. I, am, I am back in the pulpit. Are you a guest preacher? Uh, or? At this point, oh, I might be. You're the but... lead preacher. Okay. Okay. So Chris is preaching again. So we're happy to have our lead pastor back. Um, and again, everyone's wearing masks. You can tune in at 9 or 11.15. Or you can uh, c- come in person, tune in on Facebook, or you can watch it also not live on Facebook because it's recorded so that's a great way um, and then tune in next week at 12.20 or 12.15 here on Facebook Live for our, our next uh, episode, episode 4 of the podcast uh, Methodist Musings so it's been fun uh, so Chris do you want to go ahead and close this out with a blessing may God bless you today and through the remainder of your week may the Lord's presence be with you as you work, as you rest, as you pray. May God be with you as you seek to fulfill His commission to love Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbors as yourselves. Go in peace in the name of the triune God. Amen. It's good to be with you guys. See you guys next week. Bye.